almost live, probably live now. So hello, everybody. Welcome. Wyatt Soselka here, joined with my friends and colleagues, fellow ministers, Mr. Jim Meredith and Mr. Peter Nathan. Hello. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Now, TW Now. We're excited to have you on the program. A couple things as we get started. We're going to try something a little bit different today. Uh, we've had a very successful run uh, for the last X number of months, and what we've been trying is to try different uh, durations for the program. What works best? What do you, our audience, want? Do you want a 30, 35-minute program? Do you want to go a little longer, a little shorter? And so we've been testing, and today what we're going to try to do is shoot for about 30, 35 minutes, uh, pray that we can be effective in that 30 or 35-minute period, and uh, we'll see how that works. want to encourage you all to share the link. I always mention that, but please do share the links. We are getting a lot of, of coverage, a lot of shares, a lot of comments on YouTube and Facebook. So I'll probably mention that again in a moment. Today's um, show, today's program, is about globalization and nationalism. And before you think, well, that's, that doesn't apply to me, it does. There are things happening in the news today that we want to talk about uh, here in the United States, in Europe, in Spain, around the world, that we want to talk about. So globalization and nationalization, they seem to be uh, at odds with each other. They seem to be, you know, verses. You have this global movement, world government, government movement, and then you have this movement where people want to uh, secede from their states or, or countries. Scotland's always threatening to secede from the UK and Catalonia right now, uh, as you mm -hmm. gentlemen know, is, is, is arguing about um, seceding from, from Spain. Yeah, well, what about your favorite place, Texas? Uh, and Texas wants to secede, <laughs> and yeah, it would be a, yeah, well, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about that. So, <clears throat> um, so anyways, let's just jump right into it. I, I think I want to start with a, a general question, and audience, we're going to get into some really hot topics, so again, uh, bear with us, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy the program. But at a high level, globalization and nationalization do seem to be at odds with each other. We saw the terror attack in New York City earlier a few days ago, and you might wonder, well, why, why do I mention that? What does that have to do with government? Uh, it has a lot to do with government, or at least it has a lot to do with people's aspirations, people's twisted, warped concepts as to what government should be. So let me throw it out in a general way and ask globalization versus nationalization. What do you see happening on the world scene today? And without answering the full question, where do you think we're headed? And how does this tie into what we saw in New York? Wow, what we saw in New York was obviously another terrible tragedy and, and a long list of things that have preceded it. Uh, you know, with what we see happening in the world with ISIS, and with ISIS, with what they're doing, and uh, you know, this radical jihadi movement of Islam is something that even you know, obviously the moderate Islamists, uh, Muslims, don't agree with. But uh, you know, those who are firm believers in their ideology, I guess is what to call it, religion is what they call it. But um, they they believe that this is what has to happen; that they have to take over the world. And that's the whole, the whole purpose. It began back in the beginning with Muhammad trying to take over Africa and going village to village and killing people if they didn't declare that Allah was God. And it's just this movement that those who are radicalized are going to continue to do, and we're going to continue to see it happening in this country. And you talk about globalization, that's their whole purpose, to globalize the world to be Muslim. And it carries on from there as well, because... Most and a lot of the news media 
wonder what are these people missing in their lives that they undertake these atrocious acts. There's nothing they're missing. It is a, a move to bring about domination of the world. I thought they just needed jobs. No, Jim, you've, got, <laughs> you've been listening to the wrong news out there. <laughs> okay. That's fake was, news. I thought it was just about giving them jobs. <laughs> I guess I got no, that it's, wrong. It's, it, it really is an element. It is one of the forces of globalization that exist in the world of the present time. So it may sound like we're getting into sort of a political science type conversation today, and in a way we are, but this touches people intimately. If you had friends and family, or if you were there in New York, and your friends or family or you were part of this, this terrorist, you know, you were affected, you were attacked, that affects you personally. And what's driving it, just to summarize what my friends are saying, is, uh, is, is this notion that there needs to be a worldwide government based on these religious principles coming from the Koran. Now, on the other side of the, the, the spectrum, we've got what's happening in Catalonia, uh, in, um, in, in, in Scotland occasionally, well, Brexit. So what, what, what's driving that? Because what, what, that's the other end of the political spectrum. That's the other end of the, you know, on one hand you want to have globalization, and then you have this other movement. Let's talk about that for a minute. Well, you have, a, a, you have almost a tribal element coming in here. And uh, Bloomberg was recently talking about five areas in Europe or Eurasian area where you had secession movements wanting to break away, having their own identity. And it's happening in Africa as well. The Biafrans in Nigeria want to secede from Nigeria again. Uh, we find nations being riven by tribal identity issues. And uh, that, that's a very tragic situation. But people are wanting to have a sense of identity of their own. Uh, on the other hand, you have Islam, which of course is the fastest growing religion in the world, and especially in Africa. Uh, Islam wants to override all of those tribal identities and have a religious identity. And so it's, it's an attempt to superimpose uh, a religious identity on people as opposed to their ethnic identities. Well, we don't want to probably get too deep into Islam, but as we've talked about before, the Quran does divide the world into two uh, families. You have the house of, of Islam and the house of war. You have the house that's under Islamic rule, and then you have the rest of the world, mm -hmm. which, which is, must be subjugated. So that, that's, that's globalization in an extreme. Um, <clears throat> now, I want to keep moving, because we, we, we talked about this before the program. We, we really want to cover a lot of material. Um, we, we know that there are there are problems that, that, that we as Christians should care about. I mean, when people are being murdered, raped, they don't have, you know, jobs, uh, safety, uh, you know, and so forth, uh, we should care. Uh, as a matter of fact, God says through Ezekiel that we need to sigh and cry when we see abominations, and that would refer to sin, but also to, that would refer to, uh, you know, pain and suffering. Uh, we're not going to bring this up on the screen, but <clears throat> right now in uh, Syria, there, the United Nations says, look, there's at least 13 million people in Syria alone, 13 million that are in desperate need of, of aid. You know, they're, they're, they're starving. They've mm -hmm. been well, shot. They've been, the, the whole country has been right. at war for, what has it been now, six or seven Five, years? Six, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, Almost over a half a million people have <laughs> right. died in it. So, I mean, yeah, it's, the country is war-ravaged. So, so one of the large institutions is the Catholic Church, and they see this, and they say, well, you know, we've got our opinion about how uh, we can bring about peace and so forth. So there's an article in Politico, 
we, 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 uh, we, we, we dare to go anywhere on, uh, as far as our research for, for you, our, our friends um, out there. So this is a political uh, um, uh, article. And it talks about Pope Francis and in part what's behind Pope Francis's discussion uh, that happened about a week ago in Europe is uh, he sees that, that there's suffering and so forth and there's injustice. But as we start to drill into Europe, what will Europe do? What will the Catholic Church begin to do in the coming years? Very interesting. I mean, really interesting. So let me read this, and then let's have you gentlemen talk about this. Because um, Fran- this article is going to bring up Pope Francis and the French President Macron. Mm-hmm. And so the article goes as follows. Step aside Emmanuel Macron and Jacques-Claude Juncker, or Juncker. Um, God's representative, now they're probably saying this tongue-in-cheek, but God's representatives on earth, to Catholics at least, want to get their word in too, though not a member of the EU, the Vatican won Friday, and this already happened, uh, and Saturday launched itself into the biggest you know, political question, really, which is, which is, what is Europe? What will Europe do? What, what's their future? And then last quote from here. The French and European Commission presidents earlier this year offered details con- detailed contributions. I want to pause. The French and European Commission presidents, those are political leaders, earlier this year offered detailed contributions to the debate over the future of Europe. Now leaders of the Roman Catholic Church want to do the same. It's, Does that remind you of anything in the Bible? What, what, what's going on here? And it's not the first time the Catholic Church has sought to do this because John Paul II, the Polish Pope, as he was affectionately known, uh, speaking to the European Parliament, envisaged a Europe, a Christian Europe, from the Urals in Russia to the Atlantic. In other words, he envisaged it as a union, uh, you might say, brought together by the church, by the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church has had a very big picture of how Europe should be, uh, which would obviously involve the union of the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church in some way to heal the divisions of Europe and bring it under the umbrella of the Church at Rome. So the Catholic Church is driven by this. This isn't some new idea that Francis has come up with of himself. He has uh, lots of precedent in terms of this from his predecessors. Now we have somebody sitting on the panel today. Uh, We've all been around a while, but Mr. Jim Meredith's dad uh, died recently. But how long have we been talking about Europe and the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church trying to influence and guide and build Europe? into a leading, you know, government power. Well, let's, let's put it this way. I've been in the church since I was born, so it'll be 57 years here in a couple of weeks, and I've heard it my whole life. This is nothing new, and this obviously goes back to our predecessor and, you know, the church that my dad was raised in under Mr. Herbert Armstrong, who talked about a resurgent Europe even during the end of the Second World War, and that there was going to be a resurgence there. There was going to be a powerful force that was going to come together there. Now, we don't have time in this short program to begin to go into all of the facets of what's going to happen in Europe, but we're just seeing the beginning of it right now with the EU. The EU has come together in a way that is unprecedented in history, really, that I'm aware of, in terms of all the European nations kind of being under one big umbrella. 
And I mean, it's been amazing to me personally to go over there when I was young and going over there and going from country to country, you stop at the border, you give them your passport and you go through the whole rigmarole before you can go into their country. And last time I went over, I flew into Paris. I drove over straight over to, to Belgium and where there used to be a border guard there, there's nothing. It's just one continuous highway. You would never know you're going from one to the other. You've seen a globalization effort, in essence, come together in Europe. We've seen the Brexit because the British have decided we don't want to be a part of, of this monetary, fiscal, uh, you know, demanding society, if you want to call it that. And so they've decided to pull out of that. And there's obviously a debate even within the, the, uh, the English na nation there, uh, the UK, over whether or not they should have done it. But it's happened. But we're seeing the beginnings of what is going to become a much, much stronger union. And as Mr. Nathan talked about just now, it's ultimately going to be the, the Catholic Church that is behind it all. And it's going to be behind the scenes running it. And going, in essence, they're going to have the power. And we're seeing even globalization within the Catholic Church. Because what is all the, the, the talk that we've been hearing for the last number of years of, of the Holy See, as they call him, the Pope, trying to bring all of the daughters back to the church again. And so it's a religious globalization that's happening even there because they've seen all the other groups that have split up and formed all the other churches, the Protestant Reformation, etc. So we're seeing a lot of interesting things happen in Europe that are all prophesied in our Bible here. But let's, put up, let's go to topic two and let Mr. Nathan jump in because that's, that's, that's a transition right into our next topic. Uh, so if the control room could put that up on screen. Mr. Nathan, I know you had something yes. on the tip of your tongue. Well, the interesting thing is the Bible does talk about the way in which the religious system is really going to give the life and momentum to the political system. So Revelation chapter 13 uh, deals with that. And uh, Europe has become a little moribund. Obviously, Macron and others have come up, uh, coming up with ideas as to how to stimulate it. But the Bible actually says what really stimulates it will be a religious system. So we have on the one hand, we have a Catholic religious system bent on globalization, and we have an Islamic system bent on globalization as well. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was in Revelation 18 in the middle there, it talks about what right. we would identify as, as Europe, as the beast, uh, growing rich and wealthy trading, and part of that trading exactly. is even with, uh, in slavery. Yes. You know, trading with the bodies and souls of men. Right. Now, our second topic, we're going to stay on for a second. Our second topic is European integration um, efforts. So we, we, we have um, a number of news articles. I will just look at one briefly, uh, and it's, it's um, a, a Reuters article where uh, it's just from a few days ago, and the, the European leaders, uh, Reuters, October 18, they got together to agree on their uh, calendar for reform and integration and so forth. Uh, let me read a couple of comments and throw it back to both of you gentlemen. European Union leaders are, uh, are to meet on Friday. So this happened, uh, and the, the goal was to agree to a calendar that would take them through 2019 uh, to deal with the different challenges that are presented in, in further, deeper integration. Now, what's really fascinating is about three paragraphs down, where Macron, the French president, uh, acknowledges that they're willing to leave some EU members behind uh, for the sake of further, rapid, deeper integration. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he, says, uh, he essentially says that. And, and in the article, I'll conclude with this, 
The article says, Macron's ideas, however, put strong emphasis on the further development of the Eurozone, now encompassing 19 countries, so that's that core group, which some officials say creates the risk of alienating the other, you know, eight. So you've got the Catholic Church, the, the woman, the Bible would refer to, which is pushing, and you've got even the secular leaders, Macron, uh, pushing and being willing to leave some others behind. So the question is, in understanding where Europe's going, and understanding that there's this tension between globalization, a one-world government, big government, and nationalization, which way Europe? It's interesting that the eight countries who are outside of a 19 are largely in the East and are predominantly Catholic and most open to initial uh, motivation by the Catholic Church. So you're setting up an interesting scenario here for an opportunity for the church to be involved in helping uh, shape the future of Europe. Well, I think that we're also seeing is, as, as you were talking about these two terms, globalization and nationalism, you're seeing a, a Europe that is kind of globalized, but, but once they have cemented, they, they become na nationalistic, so to speak. They, they're, they're bent on nationalism and building up their, themselves, which is really what nationalism is about in, in a lot of forms. And it's not that it's bad, necessarily. I mean, our own president is doing it here in our country, as he's talking about America first and those types of things. But, you know, uh, that's normal for any country. But what we're seeing happening in Europe is going to be a nationalization of we're, we're, we're going to only do business with those who are going to come underneath our umbrella and, and in essence be a part of us rather than globalization being a grouping of nations or countries or governments that are kind of working together through trade and commerce. Um, this is going to be a little different feel than the, the, the typical globalization that a lot of people would think of today. Now, there's on Facebook a few questions coming in. One of those questions is, how do we know that the Catholic Church is the woman? So let's think about that for a second, uh, and um, uh, we can maybe just touch on that. I do want to ask everyone out there to uh, share the links, please, on YouTube or Facebook, and send us your comments, because we will try to get to some of them, and we will uh, maybe you know, get to others later in future programs. <clears throat> but how do we know it's the, uh, the Catholic Church that is the, what the Bible identifies as the woman. I would just immediately say that uh, those who are interested can go to our website, type in uh, Harlot of Revelation, type in Catholic Church, type in Woman Who Rides the Beast. But the Bible talks about a woman, and typically it refers to a religious, to mm -hmm. churches in that as, as feminine. And like mountains would mean governments, and, and, and women, if it's symbolic, is, is churches. And in Revelation um, 17, uh, people are told to come out of this, this system, this woman that practices a certain, you know, uh, religion. Um, we, we know that uh, uh, in Matthew and elsewhere in Revelation, uh, it's, uh, t we're told that this woman is a persecuting woman, that's persecuted the saints. What are some of the reasons we can pull from the Bible where we can identify the, the, the woman as the Catholic Church? Uh, an interesting one, of course, if you start in Genesis, you have the, the building of the Tower of Babel. And most people overlook the fact that the word Babel is derived from the Hebrew word Babal, which means confusion. Uh, but Babylon is the Greek rendition of the same Hebrew word. So uh, we start in Genesis chapter 11 with two competing forces. 
and they become the, you might say, the focus or one of the major focuses of the book of Revelation. So you have Babylon against the, the uh, way of God. Uh, it can be established historically that the ethos, the religious underpinnings of uh, the Babylonians uh, became the underpinnings of what we call the Catholic Church today. Uh, they have migrated uh, westward from Mesopotamia and became the funda fundamental uh, premise of a Catholic church, with the Pope being uh, the gatekeeper, so to speak, uh, the Pont Pontifus Maximus, and so forth. Ideas derived from the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. There's that famous prophecy, I just looked it up while, while you were uh, discussing that in Isaiah 47. I think we, it talks about... Uh, the, the woman who will not know the loss of children, Isaiah 47, verse 8, <clears throat> might be an obscure prophecy for some of our friends out there, but uh, there are many clues uh, regarding the, uh, who the, the woman is. And what the Bible says is that this is a system that, that makes people drunk with fornication, mm -hmm. and that typically refers to idolatry, sinfulness, breaking God's laws, right. so drunk with fornication. Uh, in Isaiah 47, verses 8 and, and 9, it talks about her not knowing the loss of children, and, and that's in a religious uh, context there. And what did we, what did we had? We've had this reconciliation that's beginning between the Protestants and the Catholic Church. Um, so I think um, those are some thoughts for our audience. And, and her add. daughters. Uh, and her daughters, uh, right. I would just say, if you look at it from a logistical, you know, say logical standpoint, and I'm a try to be a logical person usually, but you say, well, there's a lot of different scriptures that intimate this or that or the other thing. We know that this woman is a religious system, and that's pretty easily provable, but when you look at the religious systems on the, in, the, in the world today, in our part of the world specifically, what do you have? You have the Catholics, Protestants, uh, you know, Baptists, but all of them came out of what was the Catholic Church, and you have the Muslims, you have the Buddhists, etc. But they are they are the other predominant big religious group on the earth today, and they're going to continue to get bigger. So you have to say, it, well, we know it's not going to be the Muslims. So who does that leave? And and all. So you know, I, I, like I said, from a logical standpoint for our viewers, I think it's helpful for them to just think of it from that perspective, and then you start with that as just, okay, that's the basics. Now when you start taking the scriptures and looking at what the scriptures say, it, it fits in with that. And as we always say, don't just believe what we say. Right. Go to your Bible and read the scriptures, pray about it, you know, read our, our articles for, for some help, but uh, you know, read it from your Bible and pray about it. Let's move on to uh, the third uh, topic here. We're going to kind of go quickly through the third into the fourth. <clears throat> we know that... Um, not only are some interesting things happening in Europe, but in Asia and Africa, there are some alliances that are being built. And one article that caught my attention is this bridge tying Saudi Arabia to Africa, uh, and it may need Israeli sign-off. Now, I found this fascinating, and I think that you gentlemen are tired of me talking about how fascinating I find it. Uh, I think you both understand where I'm coming from. But what's interesting is that people are missing the whole point. The headline misses the point. Uh, the average viewer out there would miss the point, and I think that we understand the point, and in all due respect to our, our friends out there, listen to what these gentlemen add to this question. It's going to be uh, profound. So this article says that there's a bridge that Saudi Arabia and Africa are trying, they're trying to build. Now, 
I'm not going to take time to even read the article because I, you know. So basically, Saudi Arabia and Egypt got together and swapped property, swapped uh, territory in order to build this bridge. Great cooperation. And the article talks about it, and 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 other articles do. They're doing this, you know, uh, against Iran's wishes. And there's geopolitical and biblical reasons for that. Iran is uh, not the king of the south. Anybody who thinks Iran is the king of the south, wrong. So um, it's not in the south. It's not in the south. It's not south of Jerusalem. Wrong. Wrong. A huge false prophecy. Terribly wrong. So why why am I excited about this? Why have I been bugging you gentlemen about this for the last uh, hour before the the show today? Could I make a contribution in terms of this, in terms of nationalism? Yes. And geo, uh, globalization. We look at the world today from a Western perspective, and we have been schooled in the idea of nation states. All of the nation states in the Middle East were created by the Europeans at the end of the Second World War, the First World War, excuse me. Uh, the, the demise of the Ottoman Empire, the British and the French, uh, and then subsequently the Americans were involved in nation building. What binds the uh, Middle East together today is not the nationality of the idea of nation states. What binds Egypt and, and uh, Saudi Arabia together is their religion, which supersedes and sublimates every political notion that may exist. These nations are both Sunni, uh, they're Sunni Islam. And if one looks at the King of the South in Daniel 11, the parts of the King of the South that are noted are all Sunni Muslim states. And so you've got these, this movement of people together, are bringing together, not based on politics, but based on religion. On religion. On global, on a uh, religion that has a global view and so of its what, future. And so what aspirations does this Sunni uh, religious group of nations, what aspirations are they trying to achieve by a road into Africa? Uh, it's not the road that's interesting to me, it's what are they trying to achieve with the road into Africa, and how will this uh, 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 affect or play out via V, say, Iran, or, mm -hmm the further eastern nations? Well, from uh, what is being said in the news media is Saudi Arabia is seeking to invest in Africa to become a major food producer. So it's got oil at the present time. Oil doesn't last forever. What else can it create in terms of a cash flow industry? Growing food for an ever-increasing world is a great form of income. And if we, if we understand the king of the south and a, a, a southern Muslim confederation, mm -hmm. then if, if, th if their bridge, which is really just a, 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 a one example of, of many initiatives, if that helps them achieve economic strength, mm -hmm. then what are we going to see as a result? We're going to see an economically powerful confederation right. of Arab and Muslim right. uh, yeah. nations. Yes. Well, you know, once again, as, as you said, they're, they're investing. You have the Middle East, which is wealthy beyond belief uh, with oil. And as Mr. Nathan said, it's not going to last forever. Eventually that's going to run out. Now, probably not in any of our lifetimes, but they're looking to the future and they're looking to invest in that. And if you've, if you've got money, you, that's how you make money, is you invest. But when you look at, at not just Egypt and Ethiopia and those areas, but all of Africa, you've got a very mineral 
wealthy area that is, has, has just barely begun to be tapped. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at, 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 you know, once again, when you talk globalization, from saying there's all of this wealth to be tapped. The Chinese are trying to do it right now. You, you know, we talked about the, the Asian. The, the Chinese are pouring billions and billions and billions of dollars into Africa to do what? Well, to en enrich their own economy. They've got all kinds of you know, minerals and, and other things that they can use there. And if the Chinese can do it, then so can the Saudis. And so they're looking at, at different ways to do that. But ultimately, the goal is to bring together, as, as Mr. Nathan said, the, 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 from a cultural standpoint, they're, they're working together. Mm -hmm. And even though they're separate countries, uh, at one time they weren't. And that might be one of the flaws with the United Nations, is that we've built a humanly constructed political um, organization that really doesn't, is not founded, or the foundation is not the, the, right. the religious. And we have Facebook questions, people are asking a couple questions, is Donald Trump and his anti-European floundering a catalyst to drive Europe closer together? And uh, I like that question. <laughs> floundering. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, we had other questions about Donald Trump being a, you know, against the United Nations. Let's sort of maybe begin to drive toward a close. And um, that, those questions about the UN and Trump ties into this Time article that we talked about before the, the program. Time has an article that came out a month or so ago where it basically talks about in recent years the United Nations, Donald Trump says, has not uh, fulfilled its mission um, due to bureaucracy and mismanagement. We're not seeing results in line with the investment. And, and, and I would say we would agree. Um, Absolutely. But uh, the question is, is, the, is, are we unwittingly driving maybe Europe you know, closer together, we maybe alienate ourselves to our own detriment. Uh, what are some speculations as we begin to drive toward the close of the, the program? Well, historically, the martial aid at the end of the Second World War was the catalyst for keeping Europe afloat and uh, enabling Europe, enabling the development of the European steel and coal and uh, uh, packs of the early 1950s. And really, the Americans have aided and abetted the development of Europe all the way along. So that we drive them closer together by decisions here is not unusual. Well, and we, I think we could, you know, we may want to end, uh, end in Revelation. We talked about that, not to um, throw that at you gentlemen, uh, you know, without uh, uh, warning, but uh, maybe, that's, maybe this is a, a great place to begin to, to wrap up and, and, and end. What does the Bible say? is going to occur um, in Europe, uh, prophetically, uh, at the end of the age. And um, we know there's hope beyond that. We talk about that on the program a lot, that you know, we, we pray and we believe Jesus Christ is going to return. He really will return and set things right. But um, we're not probably yet, we're not in the time of Revelation you know, 19, verses 11, 12, 13 yet. But I think we're heading there. Do you gentlemen want to maybe help you know, us in with that? I, I would just say that you talk about the UN being a, and you didn't use these words, but I would say a feckless organization. Mm -hmm. um, they, they really don't begin to have the effect and, and all that they want to because it's so, so full of bureaucracy. You know, you hear all of these, this talk of one world government and a new world order, et cetera, et cetera. Man's concept of this is flawed. And, and all, and until you really understand what God's plan is, this is what is going to happen. There will be a new world order. There is going to be a one world government. 
but it's not going to be a government of man because every government of man that we've seen, it doesn't matter whether it's communist, whether it's fascist, whether it's uh, democratic or whatever it happens to be, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We still have a world that's in shambles and it, it's not going to work until Jesus Christ returns. So you talked about Revelation chapter 19. We see what is going to happen in the end because as, as powerful as the European Union is going to become, it's going to be destroyed. And you can, you know, you can look at our website and, and, and Google search, uh, you know, the time of the end and the great white, the, I'm sorry, the, uh, the great uh, tribulation and those types of things, and you can read more of that. But in the end, God wins. That's the bottom line. Revelation 19, chapter, chapter 19, verse 11, we read, the Apostle John writing here, he says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now, my last program here a couple weeks ago, we went through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the, and the first horseman was on a white horse. But that was not representative of Jesus Christ. This is the true Jesus Christ returning once again to this earth to establish God's kingdom. And I don't have time to go through the entire chapter here because we're, we're short on time today. But if we drop down to verse 15, he says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So Jesus is going to come back in power. He's not going to come back as helpless and unable to do anything and accomplish anything like the UN, like any government on earth, ultimately. He is coming back in all power and all glory, and he's, com he's coming back, he says, to strike the nations. He's going to destroy all of the governments of this earth, and he's going to establish God's government. He himself treads out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on him, on his robe, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to return. He died when he came to this earth the first time and gave his life a sacrifice for all of us. But when he returns, it's going to be in all power and all glory to establish God's coming kingdom. Mr. Nathan, you want to pick it up from there? No, I think you've done very well. I think you summarized <laughs> it. I think it's an appro well. appropriate, uh, appropriate ending. So we thank you all for joining. Uh, please do share the link. And we do thank you very much. We appreciate your prayers, appreciate the questions. We had people visiting from literally all around the world. I'm very impressed. Uh, all over Europe, from all over Africa, South Africa, uh, throughout Canada, uh, Sri Lanka, Alabama, Texas, my home state, uh, here in Charlotte, all over. We, so We globalize. <laughs> that's right, we globalize. <laughs> you know, there, there, there is global government coming, and like Mr. Jim Meredith said, it will be God's government and uh, Christ will reign supreme. So I think that's the, the place to end. So join us next uh, week at 3 o'clock, same time, and we appreciate your support and your prayers, and we'll be addressing... To life's big questions from the perspective of, of Bible prophecy here on TW Now next Thursday at 3 o'clock. See you next time. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>